The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that rave line! Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year oh no hello everybody welcome back to rain of troy radio episode 369 coming to you on thursday june 4th we're gonna talk about the latest in usc football including a quarterback going out and a quarterback coming in and so much more as always you can follow us on twitter at rain of troy like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Rain of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Rain of Troy. Our email address is Rain of Troy at fansider.com. And our phone number is 213-373-1USC. Second Woods Bruin Show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, who Mr. Q there, Alicia Dertal. I recovered. That was like recovery speed, like a like a corner, getting getting back there. Like like a Dory Jackson in the the twenty fourteen UCLA game. Yeah, exactly. All right, fair enough, fair enough. You you did you, you I, did, I did. did I did get in there. I I, I got it in, and the the Psycho What's Bruin show was definitely on, like uh, timed up with yours. So, right. you know the important bit. I'll give I'll give you credit. I'll I'll, I'll give you credit for it. Uh, we were back after a week, and boy, it feels like a year. Uh, remember when COVID nineteen was a thing? Remember then? Remember when COVID nineteen had us talking about like, hey, remember when going outside was a thing? Like, I, I, I'm with you. The last week has felt like a year, and the last three weeks have felt like a decade, and. The last few months have felt like 50 years all wrapped up in, of, of events all wrapped up into one. So we are living in interesting times, Michael. Yeah, interesting, but not always good times. Uh, obviously, unless you've been living under a rock, uh, it's been uh, a insane, difficult, uh, crazy, hectic, stressful, emotional week um, for our country the last week, uh, stemming from the horrific killing of George Floyd. Uh, which has everyone up in arms as it should, um, and responding to police brutality with protests, riots, everything that has stemmed from that, and it, it it's it's been difficult for our country, um, and bringing up conversations that that need to be had as we all sort of rally around the uh, black community in a mo- in a moment of need and. Um, it has been good to see a lot of USC football players rally around 
uh, the cause. Peacefully I- and respectfully. I mean, you look at uh, the situation that happened with Michael Pittman, where a uh, a USC booster who has now been basis- basically disassociated with the university um, was tweeting some pretty vile things about um, what to do to the protesters. Um, uh, at least you listen to that mentor where it's I pretty mean, racist things. Yes. I mean, vile and racist, I think, are uh, the, the, they, they sit in the same sphere for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, what she was saying was absolutely unacceptable. And Mike Bone put out a statement saying that, that it was unacceptable and that they've basically rescinded her, uh, booster sort of connections and all that kind of stuff. But she had a, a profile, a, a, a Twitter profile picture with her and Michael Pittman in it. And I mean, I got to give kudos to Michael Pittman. He, he responded to that situation in the most mature way I could imagine, and asked her very politely and very respectfully, um, told her that this is not what USC Trojans stand for, and if she would please remove him from her profile picture. And like you, again, you have to applaud the maturity of that response. And then on you know on the other side too, you got Keaton Slovis, who is showing a very mature response on on social media, um, where he had posted a, a Blackout Tuesday. Thing on Instagram and uh, somebody responded with hashtag white lives matter, which I'm just going to put out there um, is definitely n- not the most productive response. Uh, and and Keaton, um, I-, I thought, again, had a very uh, articulate and mature response to that person where he said, uh, and I'm just going to quote him, an, anal- an analogous situation to this would be attending a breast cancer awareness event. And saying that, quote, all cancer matters or that lung cancer matters, too. We are by no means saying that uh, that other lives do not matter by saying black lives matter, but rather that black lives and other minority groups need our attention now more than ever in order to create a society in which we are all treated equally. And um, yeah, again, kudos to Keaton for being able to express himself that way, particularly at his age, particularly in the position that he's in where. He is the, you know, face of the program at this point, and um, that is the kind of expression that you would want um, from someone in his position. So, um, you know, as as we say, the USC's players have done a very good job of of expressing um, their feelings on on this without being part of the uh, of the you know minority that takes it too far or. Uh, takes advantage of these of these situations to to um, create violent situations or or uh, negative situations. So that's my the only thing I really have to say about this or add about this is just uh, you know take the lead of the players, take the lead of the of the um, the kids here who are being mature and who are um, being understanding and. Uh, still letting their opinions be heard but doing so in very respectful ways and uh and considering you know what's going on through the other side i think as you've said um and listening is is a really important thing yeah listening that now is the uh perfect time to listen to each other listen to the black community and um listen to anyone Really? Like, yeah, I mean, the, and, we and, should and, always be listening to each other let's, let's, let's be real here i think that's the thing that i that we can broadly sort of address here as as sort of you and me is this is, this is like small 
situations that you can apply to broader tracks of your life like in in every interaction with somebody whether they're black white or brown and talking about racial issues or whether they're uh, a, a woman or a man talking about um gender issues or whether they're uh somebody who is uh lgbtq and talking about sexuality issues um or or even just you know somebody from a business talking about business issues or somebody from sports talking about sports issues you can always take us take a deep breath before before every interaction consider the place uh, the 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 the, the uh, where the other person is coming from and do your best to create positive dialogue in all things um and that's like i think you can you can apply that literally to everything Yep. Listen and, and, and understand uh, is is our is the message right right now that uh, that we can give out there. But uh, it's it's time to do that awkward thing where we we transition from a very uh, heavy topic to USC football, uh, something that we've had to do all year. Um, it's been a rough year, twenty twenty. Um, I, I mean, everything from you know Kobe passing away to COVID nineteen to the quarantine to this and it's just I swear Michael it's been endless Kobe passing away feels like five years it ago it feels like like each month of this year has been a year absolutely I just it's it's so it's just you saying that just now was a oh my gosh Kobe died this year like man there's just there's always something yeah n- never in a million years did I think that the 20, sorry, 2020. Yeah, that's what year it is. Yeah, I can't even think anymore. <laughs> the 2020 election wouldn't even be like a top five topic of, of the year of so the far. Year. Like, yeah. on what planet would that have happened? Yeah. Um, this one, uh, apparently. But uh, yeah, we're going to make the awkward changes and talk about USC football, uh, which we've been doing a lot over on Patreon as well. Uh, a couple of uh, snap takes, Alicia, you've put up. Uh, pertaining to uh, recruiting and uh, and what whatnot. Tell everybody what you've been doing over there. Yeah, so uh, USC had Miller Moss commit, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. And I jumped on and, and did a quick snap take talking about uh, that particular commit commitment on the day it happened. Uh, we had uh, another snap take come out on Wednesday with uh, with the commitment of, of Michael Jackson the uh, third, which was a thriller to record. Uh, it's going to be the first of many. Yeah, because you, you won't stop taking it off. Exactly, exactly. It's human nature to just keep recording <laughs> like that, right? Um, I, I can't. Sorry, I can keep beating these I into the ground. I can't keep up with you with with these uh, with these references. Are you saying that they're bad? Uh, they're not bad. No, no. Am I getting like dangerously close to someone turning it off? Uh, I just, mean, just rem- remember the time, and I can go back and. Delete this. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to do that. Either, either way, uh, that was a fun, uh, fun commitment to see play out and to, uh, and to also talk about and sort of figure out the, the, uh, what, what he's going to bring to the table as a wide receiver for USC and not just some guy who happens to share the name with a, a music legend. Um, so yeah, those are, are the snap takes that have come out this this week, and you can expect snap takes for, um, you know, commits that USC picks up. As we go forward across the summer, which uh, we definitely expect. Yep. Uh, Patreon.com slash Man of Troy is where you can get all of our bonus content for as little as five fifty five a month. For 10 bucks, you get to join our Slack channel and talk about USC football and so much more. 
along with us as often as you would like. Uh, Patreon.com slash Troy is where you can do that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then come back and talk about Miller Moss and JT Daniels, the big quarterback news for the Trojans. One coming in, one going out. Let's get to it. Last week was the big news about JT Daniels transferring out of USC and going to Georgia, Georgia. You don't know the rest of that song? <laughs> no, I was just, that was the phrase. That's, 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 that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and this week is the news about Miller Moss, the four-star quarterback out of Bishop Alamany, 52nd overall recruits. The fifth-ranked pro-style quarterback in the class and the seventh overall recruit in California. He is committed to the Trojans in the 2021 class, giving USC two, not one, but two quarterback commitments along with Jake Garcia. Uh, Miller Moss has drawn comparables to Drew Brees, uh, hopefully as just a football player, and um, with his quick release, and that would be... Good for USC to have someone as good as Drew Brees as a football player, especially in college. So um, let's talk about the the quarterback scenario. Uh, Talk about Miller Moss first. Uh, Your thoughts about SC getting him and Jake Garcia at the same time. Yeah, and and in fact, both of them are USC's highest ranked recruits for this uh, for the 2021 class at this point. And so it just goes to show the wealth of uh, of talent that USC has available to them at that position coming in all at the same time. Um, obviously, it's complicated, though, because Jake Garcia thinks he's going to start, and Miller Moss certainly is coming to USC to start, and so that is going to have to come to a, to a head at some point. But for the class of 2021, it really just was an, is- in the, an instance of USC having to get two quarterbacks so that they can have more than one scholarship quarterback on the roster in 2021 because Matt Fink is going to graduate. Even if they end up giving a, a scholarship to Mohassan, the uh, Vanderbilt, uh, the the Vanderbilt uh, transfer grad transfer, he's going to be graduating as well. So Keaton Slovis it will be the only quarterback on the roster next year who was on it this year. So you need Jake Garcia, but you also need someone else. You need Miller Moss, but you also need someone else. So the two of them will give USC potentially three scholarship quarterbacks to work with in in 2021, and then they'll have to duke it out between the two of them for who's going to replace Keaton Slovis. And ultimately, that will probably lead to one of the two uh, uh, transferring because this is the new era that we're in. Transfers are the sort of way things go, and so USC is going to have to deal with that down the line. But having two top 75 quarterbacks in your class means you're more likely to have one of them hit. You're more ha- likely to have one of them be great. And uh, and yep. the competition between those two is probably going to be really, really fun to watch. Yeah, I think it's a good situation for USC if they can land both. And also, it's a huge change of pace. I mean, this has been a decade that has been riddled with SC missing on quarterbacks in the same recruiting class or within a year of each other. Um, you look back and yeah, in 2011, they got, uh, Cody Kessler and Max Wittick at the same time, but 
since then, uh, remember back in like 2014, 15, they were going after those guys all at the same time. KJ Costello, Shea Patterson, Tate Martell never could land them because they were kind of diversifying their recruiting points or they were going after uh, Tate and then and then didn't get him and then went after Shea Patterson and that was a little bit too late and then went after KJ Costello and that was a little bit too late. And you try to get all these guys at once and it doesn't happen. Uh, you saw uh, T- uh, Tua Tagovailoa was another guy that SC tried to go after, obviously couldn't get. He ultimately goes to Alabama just last cl- this past class. The two best quarterbacks in the country, both in L- L.A., both in SC's backyard. Bryce Young and DJ from Ugalele, yes, I think is what sure. we're going to say his pronunciation right, is. Right, from, from, from St. John Bosco. There's no way USC should not get someone from modern day or uh, from St. John Bosco. But SC is in a situation when they get one uh, commitment from one Bryce Young. He decommits, but at that point they had already spent all of their effort to get Bryce Young. They did they didn't um, couldn't keep it up with with DJ, and he goes to Clemson. It's difficult to balance both guys in the same class, and here USC is getting both Miller Moss and Jake Garcia with commitments. Will that hold? I don't know. I think this is something that we're going to have to see going forward. Like you said, both guys expecting to win the job. That's what you want to hear. That's that's. That's why Keaton Slovis signed at USC despite JT Daniels being here, right? That's what you want to hear from from your your quarterback. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see ultimately what happens. Um, and you know the the other thing I, I put this on Twitter for as as weird and wild of a recruiting decade it's been for USC where you talk about all those guys that they miss, KJ and Patterson and Martell and Tua and all those dudes, DJ, Bryce Young, so on and so forth. You think about all those dudes that they missed. And they still found a diamond in the rough in Keaton Slovis. And, uh, I mean, compared to Ricky Town as a recruit, a relative diamond in the rough uh, in Sam Darnold, like, they still pulled everything out. Uh, Cody Kessler and Max Wittick in the same year worked out because Cody Kessler is, you know, a, a top 10 quarterback at USC all time. He wasn't national championship winning quarterback. Sure. But he was a good college quarterback. He, 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 they, he did the job for, for what he needed to. And the point is you, you now have a good chance of getting a good play out of one of those two guys. Right. Well, and I, I liked your argument about, um, Keaton coming to USC, even though he had no guarantee whatsoever. In fact, no, he probably had the odds very much against him ever seeing the field for USC. And yet he came and he won the job. And if you are Graham Harrell, you can certainly point to that. And, and as you're recruiting, look these quarterbacks in the eye and say, listen, Keaton Slovis had no chance from the outside of ever playing a down for USC. I certainly never thought he was, he was going to back up JT. He was going to be third string to, or fourth string to JT Daniels. And then when JT Daniels was done, he was going, going to then give way to Bryce young. And then he was going to get, or he was going to give way to a Jake Garcia type or, or whatever it was. So if you're Miller Moss or you're Jake Garcia and you 
don't have the confidence in yourself to go in and win that battle, then that isn't necessarily, and I hate the whole like afraid to compete thing because I think it's overused. But in this instance, I think if, if you are recruiting these guys, your pitch is look at what Keaton did. Why couldn't it be you? Like why, yeah. why wouldn't you back yourself well enough? Keaton backed himself when he was a nobody recruit. And yet he won the job. So you are a top 100 recruit and you don't back yourself to win that job. That's on you, bud. So I, I think that that's a, something that helps USC greatly is actually the situation that Keaton presented to to uh, to an example to other quarterbacks as USC is recruiting them. I also think that all of the transfers and the successful quarterback transfers, I mean, we talked about the college football playoff last year. Three of the four starting quarterbacks were all transfers, right? I think that has paved the way for recruits to make difficult decisions. I think recruits now know, quarterback recruits, now know that being a, a three- or four-year starter isn't isn't a prerequisite for, for being a, a, a star in the NFL or getting drafted or having success. Because you go and you look at guys who have found a way um, to find greener pastures, uh, case in point, Joe Burrow, right? Like he was never going to see the field at Ohio state. He goes to LSU and, uh, a year after he gets to LSU, he becomes the greatest quarterback in the history of college football for a year. So, uh, and you see that with all the other dudes. Well, and, and that's the, the thing too, is that if you're Miller Moss and you've been a USC fan growing up your whole life, then you, why not throw your your hat in the ring and see if you can do it? Yeah, give and, it a shot. And and you there's nothing and, to lose. There's nothing to lose because we all expect the one time transfer exemption to come into play within the next couple of years. Yep. So by the time Jake Garcia or Miller Moss need to potentially transfer because they aren't going to play at USC, they're probably going to be do be able to do so without penalty. So why not go to USC and start your career there? And why not give yourself the possibility of being the USC quarterback? Why not give yourself the option to be the local hero? It, it just makes so much sense at this point. Yeah, and if it doesn't work out, go to another school, and that's not going to hamper your ability to still be a successful quarterback. And from a and from a USC perspective, you have to be cognizant of this. You need to understand that, yeah, you're bringing in these two quarterbacks, but you're only going to have one a couple years down the line. So USC needs to A stay on top of quarterback recruiting every single year, bring in a new quarterback and B dip into that transfer market the way that other schools have, have been able to uh, have a lot of success. Oregon has done it. LSU has done it. Uh, Georgia has done it. So that may be another Avenue that we're We have yet to see USC really do heavily, but it might be coming down the line. Now you mentioned Georgia. Let's talk about it. Uh, JT Daniels headed to Georgia transferring in this, uh, this era of quarterbacks transferring them. Um, th there is a stat I I've seen over and over and over again, something about a five-star quarter, at least one five-star quarterback transfers every single year. And JT Daniels can add his name to that list. Uh, I, I don't know exactly where he ranks on the, the pantheon of the that list of how many, but he's one of them transferring away from USC to Georgia, completely opening up, um, Everything for Keaton Slovis. There's going to be no quarterback competition. As I wrote on Manitroy.com, you can pre-delete 
your complaints that Clay Elton's going to botch the quarterback decision. It's going to be Keaton Slovis. That's just it's just how it is. Um, no, the the modern day, uh, uh, you know, uh, the conspiracy theory, mafia or it, whatever. Yeah, that is not a thing that's going to be uh, pulling the strings behind. No, JT Daniels is headed to Georgia, which is interesting because Georgia already has a transfer, uh, a graduate transfer this year to to play in twenty twenty. And it's former Wake quarterback Jamie Newman. As it stands right now, J.T. Daniels would have to wait a season and play in 2021, which is, you know, he, he won't have probably won't have the ability to, to play immediately, which was one of the things that we had talked about, that it probably made more sense for him to stay at USC for the season and then transfer as a grad transfer once he's able to do so immediately. But... Ultimately, he sees more benefit in going to Georgia now and getting um, a year in the system before he's able to uh, play football for the Bulldogs. Yeah, and this was something that I think it was very easy for us to sit back and say, oh, yeah, he should stay this year because he won't be able to play this year anyways if he transfers because he won't get the the transfer exemption and and all of that. But um, and and I think there is truth to that, where there was there is ser- still seriously a possibility where Keaton Slovis gets injured and the backup has to come in and play extensive time, and now that backup will be Matt Fink or Mohassan, and not JT Daniels, obviously. But there was also the other line of thinking where if you're JT Daniels and you want to take over as the quarterback for the next program that you go to, why not get a head start now? Go to Georgia start learning from those coaches, start practicing with those with, with new teammates, start embedding yourself on that roster so that when the next year comes around and you are in a battle for a starting job, you actually have a foundation upon which to build. So I can see, I think both sides had pros and cons, and ultimately it looks like J.T. Daniels has, has, has made his choice here and is going to do the, the option two where he's going to work to embed himself and you know what, frankly, the way the trajectory that Georgia is on, the program that they've built right now, JT Daniels is going to have a really good shot to compete for a national title at, at Georgia when when the time comes. So can't really fault him too much. Hey, if he wins a national title with the SC tattoo on him, does that count as an SC victory? <laughs> okay, question. Does JT get that tattoo covered up? I, I mean... Vernon Adams didn't have his covered up when he went to to Eastern Washington. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think you get it covered up. I think. No. I think you can't cover it up. I think the best thing to do would be to First wear. Of all, it's on his leg. He's just going to wear high socks. He's been wearing <laughs> high socks all the time in, in every single game, anyways. But but like treat it as a mark of your journey. Your journey involved going to USC and. Uh, undergoing trials and tribulations and like wear it as a badge of honor in that sense well he's got isn't it uh isn't it traveler on his leg i think it's or is it like a lion coliseum i I don't remember what it okay so i but why why don't you just get ug on on the the other leg well there you go i'll go sitting on a on a big bag of ice (laughs) get it get another tattoo and then just hope you don't transfer again yeah, there you go. Uh, or you can just keep transferring and just have all these these scenic views all over. There you it. go. When you transfer in Hawaii, you get like a big panoramic shot of like uh, 
uh, of Diamond Head or something. Hey. That, that'd be cool. Yeah. Anyways, uh, other news from last week. Uh, USC has hired Chris Claiborne as an offensive quality control analyst, along with Hayes Pollard as a defensive quality control analyst. No word if he's going to be in charge of fair catches on Hail Mary attempts. But SC gets, uh, gets something right here. Brings back uh, the 1998 uh, unanimous All-American and Butkus Award winner Chris Claiborne onto the coaching staff, number 55, someone... Uh, that people have been clamoring as a coach for years. He was the head coach previously at uh, Calabasas High in Calabasas. Yeah, I mean, he's a great pickup for USC. Uh, there, you know, there was talk of why not hire Chris Claiborne as the uh, linebackers coach when USC had that position open to fill. So to get him on the staff as an offensive analyst, I think is a really, really uh, savvy move by USC again, uh, not just mining the Trojan family for for bodies, but getting guys who actually have some real-world experience like Chris Claiborne does. What he did at Calabasas is objectively impressive. Uh, he he did very well at that program uh, to develop uh, talent who became, you know, big recruiting guys and also to to move them up. I believe he moved them up a division uh, as uh, in, in terms of the football sort of Didn't he structure. take over for one of the Clausens? Were the Clausens at Calabasas? I think one of the Clausens were at Calabasas. They might have been. I, I'm, I'm, the West Valley slash is is that considered West? I don't know that that area of geography is totally not my expertise. <laughs> yeah, not Calab- Calabasas is not my expertise either. But uh, I do know that uh, that he did he did quite a good job there, and um, I I like the idea of him coming in and and uh, you know working his way through. He's I think he's definitely going to be a guy that's going to put in his time and then see if he can work his way up the ladder and what better place to try to do that than, uh, than, than USC. As for Hayes Pillard, you know, he was a four year starter for USC at middle linebacker. Um, had a, a couple years in the NFL. Like he's got the, 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 the mindset that, you know, as a captain and a, and a regular starter who was able to grasp a defense immediately as a, as a freshman, that lends something to it, so we'll see how he does in that role, too. Yep, it's a start for those guys uh, in the program, and we'll see, ultimately, what uh, what comes of it. Uh, let's get to our weekly COVID-19 update, because, again, COVID-19 is still a thing. Keep wearing your mask when you go to the grocery store. And if you are a student to class in the fall, yes, USC has laid out a plan for fall semester to have in-person classes. The fall semester will begin a week early on August 17th and end uh, a hell of a lot early on Thanksgiving. We'll include in-person classes with an online option as well. Testing and contact tracing protocols will be followed. Face masks mandatory. And USC President Carol Folt put out a statement, uh, really a, a plan of sorts for the fall with bullet points. Here's what was said about the USC athletics specifically, quote, the NCAA and the Pac-12 are developing protocols and policies around athletic practices and competitions for each sport. Much is still being developed. As in all activities, the health and safety of our students and staff will always be our top priority. USC athletics will both follow the guidance of government officials, the Pac-12, and NCAA rules, and on the university when and how athletes can return to campus. The Pac-12 conference is allowed for voluntary in-person athletic workouts for all sports 
to commence on June 15th. However, each school will determine how this works on their own campus. No decisions have been made here at USC yet. So yeah, like like you said, we think that uh, football will be good to go. It looks like all signs point to fall camp or at least a what what are they calling it like a uh off season extended training camp yeah kind of basically deal. like a training camp situation uh it looks like it's good to go uh the in person classes basically confirms that there isn't going to be anything keeping student athletes off of campus which was the one concern about whether or not that was going to be able to happen so uh it's it's all good signs and then Really, the only thing we're left waiting for is when are they going to get to start on this on this training camp that they go that they go forward with? They can wait until July. They really can. They they. Um, I don't think Clay Helton has said it specifically, but other Pac-12 coaches have said they need sort of six to eight weeks to get ready. So you could start that up and you know get players back onto campus in the middle of July and and go forward eight weeks and get ready for the season on on September on September fifth. So. It'll be interesting to track uh, that particular information, but for now, there doesn't seem to be any more barriers to football being played. The the remaining sort of lingering question is about will fans be in the stands, and I'm actually getting more and more optimistic about the, the possibility of that with some social distancing and masks and the like, but uh, as far as we will see football games this fall, I think that is a factual statement. Um, even if it means watching them on TV. Yeah, which is uh, super, super good to to hear. Uh, we, we all need football. The, the, the 2020 year has been uh, such a grind and, and such an emotional gut punch. We, we, we need football. So, yeah. Uh, anyways, let's take a quick break and come back and get into a mailbag. we got a bunch of voicemails and emails. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's start with a voicemail we got from Cameron in Frisco, Texas. Hey, Randy Troy. It's Cameron from Frisco, Texas. I know it's been a while since the last time I called in. I um, just have a couple questions. Uh, the first question is about what you talked about in your podcast a couple of weeks ago about your hypotheticals with um, the possibility of just doing a in-conference schedule just for, the, just for the season. I just wanted to know which conference do you believe would have the – would actually be beneficial for them to have just an in-conference schedule and which conference would not be beneficial for just an in-conference schedule. And then my second question has to do with the transfer of JT Daniels to, to Georgia. Um, so do you think or do you believe that the whole quarterback debate that's been going on for the past year or so between JT Daniels and Keenan Slovis is squashed? Is it over? that Keaton Slovis is a guy, he is the quarterback, he is going to be playing week one, whether it's Alabama or whether it's a conference team. Um, do you believe that he is the guy? And do you think, like, this debate is over and there's no need for discussion whatsoever for anyone that is a fan of USC football? Can we just say, for once and for all, we know who our guy is, we know who our quarterback is, and it's Keaton Slovis, and we can happily say, we actually have a competitive advantage over Alabama when it comes to just the quarterback position. So at least USC knows who their quarterback is. Alabama, they have no idea, like always. But, you know, just wanted to get your thoughts and all that stuff. Thanks. Fight out. Beat the tide or beat the farm. Yeah, thanks for the call, Cameron. Um, I think <laughs> I think that on one level, absolutely you are correct. The 
the question of USC's quarterback is completely done. It's Keaton Slovis, and uh, that's that's pretty much in the books. On another level, I'd throw out this very, very real possibility. What happens when Keaton Slovis comes back for his junior season in 2021 and JT Daniels wins the starting job at Georgia in 2021 and JT Daniels wins a bunch of games with Georgia and Keaton Slovis doesn't win a bunch of games with USC in this hypothetical situation? I think there will be still comparisons between the two. Absolutely. They won't be fair comparisons, but they will be comparisons. So prepare yourself for that. Um, if if Keaton takes off and is absolutely amazing, then it'll lessen the likelihood of that ever becoming a discussion. But, you know, you have to prepare for the potential of any quarterback playing for Georgia is going to have an easier time than any quarterback playing for USC unless USC gets their act together a little bit better over the coming uh, over the coming years. Especially in the offensive line, for yeah, sure. No, um, no, no question. Yeah. Please, I, I hope that those are not comparisons that absorbs Twitter. Jeez. I mean... I mean, it's, it's Twitter, Michael. <laughs> I know, I know. Like, it's it's bad enough, like, the Coach O stuff, like, um, I, another round of it with the quarterbacks? No. Unsubscribe now. Yeah. yeah. Um, But uh, in, in talking about the, the conferences... Oh, by, by the way, uh, Keaton Slovis and SC having knowing their quarterback... Very good thing, 100%. Good thing. Um, and in comparison to Alabama, I think it's a good thing. Because you look at who Alabama has played in week one, uh, they, they've they've beaten those teams by an average score of 38-13 to 13 in week one. Uh, they've been playing the, these, um, these out-of-conference uh, one-off games, usually in Dallas or Atlanta. Uh, for the past decade, they win them all by an average score of 38 to 13. And none of those teams have necessarily been good. And now I, I'm not going to say that Alabama is, you know, that, that 38 to 13 doesn't matter. Um, is is discredited because they, they've played teams who haven't nearly been that good. But I'll just say it right now. I think SC is the best team Alabama will have faced in week one, in a long time. I mean, Florida State was the number three um, uh, preseason number three team a couple of years ago, but look where they finished. I mean, they, they had to scrap to make it into a, a bowl game. So I think SC is going to be a pretty good team this year. Are they going to beat Alabama? Probably not. I don't think anyone's going to hold their breath and say that. But I think it will be interesting to see what the continuity of Keaton Slovis means in that game. Um, I, I am going to, it's like, my hunch is that they keep it a little bit closer than 38 to 13, but, but maybe that means 38, 17. I don't know. See, my thing is, it's certainly not a negative, right? which I'm yeah. going to throw the, just the double, the double negative out there. It's not a negative. So you can call it a positive, I guess. My bigger concern is I don't think Caden Slovis is going to be the, the, the ultimately dis- ultimate deciding factor in this game i think usc's offensive line and usc's defensive line will ultimately be this deciding factor in these games and i wish i felt more confident about both but there's potential there so what were keaton slovis's two most impressive games to you last year um uh (laughs) 
<laughs> what 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 games did he play last year again? I can well, make a strong Iowa, argument. The, it's Iowa Notre Dame. Yeah, the Iowa game was absolutely impressive, and what he did against Notre Dame was really the validation of of what he could be at at a, at a the sort of upper level. Yeah. Um, but take note, USC lost both of those games. Probably the two best defenses he played, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, along with with Oregon, and we we know how the Oregon game went, but uh, yeah, I mean. Those are two games we, that, that he played well, and it didn't matter. And just to, as a sort of an aside uh, uh, um, advertisement, I guess, you and I were both on the Quack 12 pro- podcast earlier this week. Yeah, I meant to write it into our uh, our rundown. I totally botched that. I'm sorry, Yeah, guys. so we were, with, we were doing uh, the Quack 12 pro- podcast because they're doing a series where they're discussing the entire history of, of each of Oregon's rivalries. And so we went back to the 1920s and talked about USC Oregon and all the way up through the more recent uh, games. And we had a, a, a pretty interesting chat about what happened to, for USC against Oregon uh, this past year. And they wanted to know our thoughts on sort of what what were you thinking during that game? And you and I both still came away with the same like, man, that just felt like a game that was uh everything that could go wrong for USC did go wrong. And if you change one or two little moments, it's a very, very different game. And I think that's why I don't hold that game so much against Keaton, because those interceptions were um, just a string of bad luck to, to a point. So I guess the concern would be if things don't go your way against Alabama, you are going to get absolutely throttled. Um, And for things to go your way, I mean, part of the reason why Keaton struggled so much in that game against Oregon was because Oregon's speed rushers off the edge were absolutely having their way with uh, Drew Richmond in particular, but with both sides of the of the line were not performing particularly well. So Alabama can do that to USC's offensive line. Alabama can overwhelm them, and then at a certain point, Keaton, he'll just be sort of a, a, a sitting duck. I, I, I have a prediction I think I'm getting ready to make. I think the Alabama game is not going to be exactly like it, but I think it's going to be similar in concept to the Holiday Bowl. The Holiday Bowl. In, in the sense, in the sense, I mean, before everyone just gouges their eyes out, but in the sense that I think SC is going to be outclassed because Alabama's that damn good, that damn talented. Obviously, we all know that. Um, but I think it could be one of those games where you look at it and you go like, but Keaton Slovis was as better than you could imagine he could have been in that game or whatever. I, I think Keaton will have his moments. I think he absolutely it, it just will, will have his moments. It just might not show up on the scoreboard. You need more than moments to win a team game. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Uh, let's go to a voicemail we got from Superfic. Hey, Ray and Troy. This is Felix. Superfic out of Greenville, South Carolina. Listen, guys. Uh, I uh, listened to the podcast the other day, and i never seen that movie, Logan's Luck. And i seen it this weekend. I really enjoyed that movie. Thanks for the heads up on that. Uh, second thing is that, uh, Pac-12 is a went fast, I don't know if I should say that, but they're went conference. They better get their football season in order because if they fail to 
start the football season like they should, we're going to have some problems. Anyway, thank you guys. I listen to you all uh, every single time I can. And uh, be safe, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Thanks for the call, Superfig. Here's the good news. So much has changed in the last couple of weeks uh, on college football and COVID-19, and so much that, yeah, the back 12s playing. The back 12 is playing football for sure. I think we can definitively say that. See, and, I, and I, there was a Sports Illustrated article that kind of uh, hit the nail on the head for me as far as the coverage of, of what the Pac-12 was or wasn't doing. And basically the headline was like, rumors of the Pac-12's demise have been greatly exaggerated uh, because I think people were jumping the gun on the idea that the Pac-12 wasn't going to play the season. Um, the Pac-12 was pretty much just waiting until they had more information. And now that they have more information, it's clear that they are ready to go. And frankly, it seems like they have a better plan than everybody else on how exactly to deal with. It's uh, it's weird, right? Like it, it, everyone was so upset that the Pac-12 was dragging their feet, but they were waiting to make an educated decision. And they did. And now they have a plan that nobody else has. Yeah, and like when you hear, we heard this week that Oklahoma State has had five players test positive for COVID-19 as they were about to, they were basically told like, don't come to campus when you're supposed to, you were supposed to this week. So as, as far as I know, the Big 12 doesn't necessarily have a uniform, here's what you do in case of this happening scenario, where it's kind of comforting that the Pac-12 does, that if USC decides to go back to uh, to bring players back to campus in you know, start of July or whenever they ultimately do, that if somebody turns up positive, they have a very detailed protocol. They know exactly how many days they have to be out, how, how many days free of symptoms, how many days with, with positive or negative tests, all this kind of other stuff that the Pac-12 has worked out. And I hope that other conferences take a look at that model and follow suit because you do need to have these contingencies in place. And... Ultimately, the Pac-12 will be able to start their season on time and have these the, the this all together. Yeah, uh, 100%. Um, by the way, to, to go back to Cameron's question about what conference would oh, have yeah, an, I had an, answer for a, this. an advantage in a strictly a conference-only conference, you can make an argument to the Pac-12 in the sense that the reason the Pac-12 has not made the playoffs over and over and over again is is because they've had one loss that just screws everything up, right? And it's either because of it, it's Stanford playing Northwestern at 9 a.m. or it's it's Oregon starting their season against um, Auburn, or it's uh, Oregon starting their season against Auburn, or it's or it's USC playing Notre Dame every year, right? Like those little things have cost the Pac-12 um, games. And if you took away the non-conference schedule, they would have a, a, a pretty good chance. At the same point, uh, the the common narrative is usually that the Pac-12 needs the non-con schedule to prove a point. And I think that's right. I, th I think that you do need to prove a point. Those big games are important for the for the Pac-12 because they are showcase games to, to prove something. But I don't think it's a be-all and end-all. Oregon would have gone to the Pac-12. I mean, would have gone to the playoff last year uh, if they had played... Uh, Arkansas State instead of Auburn. So 
it, it's it's not always a need those game kind of situations. Um, uh, Washington in 2016 got in as a one loss team, so I don't think it's a complete um, certainty. But uh, I, I think the Pac-12 would have an argument there. Uh, the SEC is the one who would benefit, though, because no, the SEC is the one who it wouldn't benefit at all because it doesn't change the equation for them in any way, shape, or form. Well, I would. Okay, that, that's that's a galaxy brain answer. Their non-conference schedule doesn't matter, anyways. Well, what so I, them not playing their non-conference means what? They're still the SEC schools that are going to get the benefit of the doubt because they're SEC. Yeah, but what I was going to say is that then nobody could ever make the argument, but they're playing an FCS school. They're playing this because then all people will hear is well, our entire schedule is against ranked teams or whatever it would be. And those would be the argument points that the SEC would make to to try to drum up the conversation in their favor. Well, I mean, the the other side, too, is that by not having four out-of-conference games, that means that they level the playing field and means that there's going to be a a good team in the sec that finishes three and five or or no you don't have the bad teams in the sec having one extra win on their slate instead of you know whereas like you the pac-12's bad teams always look bad because they don't have as many wins where the sec's bad teams never look quite as bad as they are because they all have a built-in win on their schedule yeah and then you end up with these you know, every, everyone loves to talk about how great of a coach Dan Mullen is. And I'm not to say that he's not. I think he's a very good coach, uh, like a top 10 coach. But I think so many people just blow up his Mississippi State tenure. Mississippi State was going like three and five every year in conference. If 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 Kyle Whittingham went three and five, and Kyle Whittingham's probably the, the West Coast version of Dan Mullen, right? If he went three and five, he wouldn't have a job. Yeah. So, well, and I, I know it's a different conference, but. Yeah, it's, I mean, different different dynamics and all that kind of stuff. But either way, either way, I think uh, the non-conference slate would ultimately, I think, like you said, benefit the Pac-12 more than anybody. Yeah, certainly benefit SC not having to play Alabama, right? So uh, let's go to a voicemail we got from Michael in Idaho. Hey, guys, it's Michael in Idaho, and I know it's way late in the day to come up with this idea they've been doing it for a while and i should have thought of it earlier and, and maybe you guys already have but uh it's monday evening and i'm listening to the uh, westwood one rebroadcast of super bowl one oh god the sound quality is horrid uh which brings to mind if uh, you guys need content is there any way do you have access to the old uh usc broadcast and you could maybe put out a pub- couple of co- podcasts with uh, a classic game on it or if nothing else, uh, maybe use a segment for highlights of some of these games. Just a thought. Fight on. Catch you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for the call, Michael, as always. We we don't have the rights to those sort of things, but this is right up Alicia's alley, and she's about to tell you guys her plan that she always talks about to me about doing old games. Okay, yeah, and trust me, if I had access to radio broadcasts or anything from old games, I would be all over that stuff. I don't have, let alone rights to use them, I don't, I've never sort of seen them out there readily available, uh, for at least the ones that I've been researching, so I don't know where those things might be. But I have pitched the idea to Michael in the past of doing a recreation, a podcast recreation of a USC game, because there are some games, there are a lot of games out there from way back when 
where the newspapers had very detailed, um, almost play by play for uh for for the games describing exactly what happened to them during them and like i am convinced that we could recreate some of these games and do like a if not like a fake radio broadcast then like a a full-blown like recreation of this is exactly what happened like michael does the play-by-play as though he were a play-by-play announcer and wouldn't have to be the old-timey radio voice but like you know, run through it like... Here a- comes the ball, and it's Ralph Hayward, and he's got the ball, and he crosses the 45 to the 50. Yeah. <laughs> over to the 45, the 40, the 30. He's going to score, and USC is going to win the 1943 Tournament of Roses game. Yeah, we wouldn't have to do something like that, because I'm pretty sure that would get real annoying real quick. But, like, I don't know. I've always dreamed of, like, doing a recreation. Holy cow, it's another interception for Adrian Young! Four (laughs) on the day against the Irish! Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I I, I, I don't think... Okay, the the problem, the the biggest problem with this idea, aside from you needing to buy in, there's an even bigger problem in that doing this would require a lot of work. A lot of work. And I don't think there's necessarily a market to justify that kind of time commitment. So, yeah. someday, maybe. Yeah. Uh, let's go to uh, a couple of Slack questions. First one comes from NC in Palmdale. Articles are predicting Keaton Slovis as a dark horse candidate for winning the Heisman. What say you? Uh, to which Pacific Northwest Steve replied... If he picks up from last year and approves on that, sure. Why not? Yeah, I'm I'm with Steve here. Why 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 can't he? Um, especially when you look at Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow came out of nowhere to win the Heisman. Uh, that pretty much pretty much makes it wide open for anybody. I am fully convinced that Keaton Slovis has everything he needs to be a Heisman contender. Absolutely. Number one, not being one of the Heisman favorites going into the season is actually an advantage. The no Heisman pressure. favorites usually don't win. No criticism. No criticism early on in the games. And then when you come out like, oh, man, look at what he's doing. And then you have a big marquee game, um, which, you know, could be any one of USC's mid- midseason games. He's got Oregon and Washington and Notre Dame on the tail end to uh, bolster that up, potentially. It's also an SC quarterback. Yeah, he that helps. What he needs to do is have a strong showing against Alabama. He doesn't necessarily need to win that game, but winning that game certainly boosts him into the, into the Heisman conversation. But if he puts up good numbers and makes USC competitive, that'll be, I think, enough for him to to sort of prevent the death of an the, the early death of the of the Heisman campaign. But you look at his numbers from last year; they were exceptional nationally, and he didn't play a full season. Um, he is his his passer rating and his uh accuracy and downfield accuracy and all the advanced stats and everything like that put him up in the in the tier with Joe Burrow. I'm not going to say he was Joe Burrow, Burrow, but he was in that tier. The biggest problem for Keaton Slovis is USC status. Joe Burrow only wins the the Heisman because he leads LSU to a national title run. I mean, he also had the greatest season in the history of the the sport, right? But. And that led USC to a that led LSU to a national title run, right? So Keaton Slovis can't just have big numbers; he needs to have epic numbers 
that elevate USC to the playoff. If Keaton Slovis yeah. gets USC to the playoff, I will make an early prediction now. If USC is in the playoff, Keaton Slovis is in New York. All right. I'm going to hold you to it. Yep. Yep. Holding you to it. Uh, Jonathan says, what do you think Keaton Slovis' stats will look like this season? Who do you think will be the leading rusher this season? And will he rush for over 100 yards? Sorry, 1,000 yards. So Keaton had 3,502 yards passing, 30 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, and a 71.9% completion percentage with a passer rating of 167.65. Do we think Keaton Slovis is going to get over... 4,000 or should we start talking about 4,500? Because that's where I'm... I'm I'm looking... I think 4,000 is a lock. I think 4,500 is is um, potentially there. I think the interesting thing is, what does the running game mean for USC this year? Plus, he's just going to have more games. Um, you know, you, you look at... You, you average it out. I'm, I'm going to do the math here. 4,500 uh, 4, divided by 12... 375 yards a game. Uh, he's probably not going to play 12 games. He's probably going to play 13 to 14. If, if it's 14 games, what is that? 4,500 divided by 14, doing the math, 321. Yeah, I think it's very Easy. close. I, I think it's going to be 4,000 to 4,500 4, yards, potentially more if he just completely blows up, right? But well, what is averaging- the running game going to do? I, I think that... Last year, last November, they really went super air raid, and you saw a lot of success in USC's offense, and it was fun to watch. But is that going to be the offense going forward? I don't know, because the a big part of that reason not only was because Keaton Slovis was better as the year went on, but was because of all of the the uh the the carnage in the running back room. They had to use Amon Ross St. Brown as a running back at yeah. one point. Like they they, they didn't have. <laughs> Uh, Marquis Stepp, they didn't have a Vimalapai, they didn't have Steve McCarley, lost, lost their top three guys in a span of a week, had to go all the way down to, to Keenan Christen, and it's and Keenan Christen looked really good, but it was a situation that, that SC didn't want to be in. Luckily, they had a pass-focused offense that could get right through it, and got through it and you know beautifully because... Keaton Slovis threw 400 yards a game during that stretch, but well, but that's and that's what I'm saying is if if he in the normal average game if he has 315 to 330 yards passing, which I think is very doable. Yes, and then in the big games he's up at 400 to five, you know, you know, approaching 500 yards. We're talking about huge, huge yardage numbers for him, depending on if he can stay healthy and if he can play all of those games. That's really my biggest, my bigger question than anything. Not his ability; it's his ability to stay healthy. As for the running game, USC will not have a 1,000-yard rusher. And I guarantee that just because they have too many guys who are available. Yes. They're not I think gonna have if a there guy. was one dude, I think that one dude gets there. But yeah, but there isn't one dude. dude. Vivai Malapai, yeah. Stephen Carr, Marquis Stepp, at least those three, if not factoring in Keenan Kristen, will all see enough playing time that none of them are going to end up with a 1,000 yards. And by no... Uh, it, that's no mark against any of them. I think they're going to combine to have a, a pretty decent rushing average uh, if things go right for USC. It's just that one of them is not going to have the featured uh, sort of role that you would need in order to have a thousand yards. And USC is running an air raid offense, so it's it's not like a 2005 USC situation where you can have Lendell White and Reggie Bush both with a thousand yards because the offense isn't exactly built for that. No, but if, but if the offense is functioning at the highest rate possible, 
Um, I could see there be, uh, now, being a lot of yards there. Now, my my uh, the the other thing that maybe comes into play is if USC is actually winning games the way they should and blowing teams out and running the ball throughout the second half of games more often, then maybe you do see guys put up bigger numbers than they have. But yeah, they got to cross that you know bridge first. Yeah, one hundred percent. Now, in terms of touchdowns, uh, Keaton's going to get 40. He's going to break the all-time single-season touchdown record this year. Put put that pen and paper and that that's a that's if he stays healthy, that's an absolute fact. Uh that's a bold prediction, but I don't think it's a unrealistic one at all. Yeah. He's doing it, folks. Uh 39th the record by the way. Uh he's definitely going to hit 40. Uh, let's go to a Slack message we got from John John in Cape Town. How does USC's offensive line compare to last year's at this point? At this point, I would say last year's is ahead because of the continuity. But what does that mean? I don't know. I don't, I don't know that as anyone knows what USC's offensive line is right now because they didn't have a spring to, to practice. They lost. Austin Jackson, yeah, they get uh, Elijah Vera Tucker back, but there's a lot of changes on that offensive line. So, on the one hand, they're down Austin Jackson and Drew Richmond, two starters. So, naturally, you would say they're behind, and I think that is that is the case. I'll make the argument, the for the optimism's sake, uh, that this line compared to last year is... Brett Nealon, Jalen McKenzie, um, Elijah Vera Tucker, and company, Liam Jimmins, and and all those guys, one year more experience, one year of actual real game time under their belt, which can be a, a serious plus for, for guys on the offensive line. So as a whole, you could look at it and say that this unit is a year ahead of where they were last year, but you can't deny the loss of Austin Jackson. You can't deny um, the situation where you're having to cross your fingers and hope that Elijah Vera Tucker can be a left tackle. So if, if we knew more about the offensive line, if I felt more confident about the offensive line, it would be a hell of a lot easier to make predictions for the coming season. Yeah, I, it, it completely would. It's just the huge question mark that uh, we're going to have to find out as we go into this extended training camp and the beginning of the football season. Uh, Jonathan also emailed us again and said, Hey, again, I am, well, I'm sad that, that he is gone. I was an avid JT Daniels supporter. Do you think he will succeed in Athens? And what do you consider a success for his decision? Um, I mean, if he wins a national title at Georgia, then that's an, Unmitigated success, right? I yeah, the, I think it's, I is, think it's simpler than that. I think does he regain the prominence that he had as a recruit in the sense of is does he become one of the best quarterbacks in the country? If he does, it's success. I well, and then the other problem too is that like his future at USC is not. I mean, I, I, it's not just what he does at, at Georgia. If Keaton Slovis ends up being completely unhealthy and can't see the field for the next two years, 
then that will that will reflect on whatever happens with JT Daniels too. Because in that case, if he had stayed, then all of a sudden you're opening the door for him leading USC and and getting his job back and all that kind of stuff. By the way, who who was the last guy who got hurt at USC and then transferred to Georgia? What 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 did they do? Oh, uh, I, I uh, think they became an All American. <laughs> I mean, Jarvis Jones I mean, aside. Completely different situation. Yeah, yeah, very different <laughs> situation. But uh, I don't know. I think JT has a really good chance to to do well at Georgia. Um, you just you just never know how these things are going to play out. My big fear for JT will be if USC maybe ruined him. Because a lot of times you see it with quarterbacks, once they lose that confidence, once they lose that trust in the offensive line and how much time they have and start getting happy feet and a quick trigger finger, then... Um, things can go poorly for them, and 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 they can never get it, gain it back. Sometimes, and JT is going to have to work through that along with getting back from his knee. Yeah, anything can happen. He can go there and have a real successful time, like we've seen all those other quarterbacks we talked about who transferred and then had a lot of success in their at their new school. And or- the thing is, all of those transfer quarterbacks that we talk about who had success, there are equal number, if not more, of transfer quarterbacks who. Did nothing, but so. but but what's the what's the common link between all those quarterbacks that had success? They went to really good teams with good coaching staffs. Yes, yeah. So, uh, coaching staffs that that help them, right? I mean, would you have said that LSU's offensive coaching staff was good <laughs> when Burrow went there? Certainly not. No, no one would have thought that ever. No one would have ever thought that LSU would produce the greatest single season quarterback in in history. Uh, but yeah, they did because Joe Burrow was was incredible working with uh, with Joe Brady. So perfect storm there, and that's all you need mm-hmm. as a player. You just need to find the right fit, and sometimes it's the right fit, and sometimes it's not, and it, you you don't know until you know. You don't know until you know. Anyways, that's gonna wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening. As always, we will be back next week with more USC football talk, uh, including a game show we're putting together and. By God, I'm going to make sure that we finally do it. We need to do it. We really do. We've been talking about this for months now, trying to work it out as best we can. Yeah, we we, we got we to gotta get the job done. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, that'll be up soon. Until then, uh, we, will, we will catch you. Uh, Alicia, our listeners can don't even know how to do these anymore. How do we do these? Are are we are are we pitching the the Patreon? Are we pitching the website? We'll pitch are we the pitching the, the patreoncom slash You can get all our bonus content for as little as five fifty five a month, or you can read our stuff over at reignoftroy.com. At least you give us a final word. How about that? The f- That's a good salvage. That was a good salvage. Yes, good recovery speed there. Um, the the final word is recovery, as in. You need some good recovery speed to make up for your, you know, flubs on a podcast. Yeah. So that way I'm not stranded deep, right? Exactly. Exactly. If you need a video game out there, oh, if you're God. looking for a video game to occupy a lot of your time and you like survival games, stranded deep. The the the, you, the you premise get, of the game is just ridiculous. You get okay. you you you're shipwrecked or you're plane wrecked Who wants in the to middle be of like the Pacific Ocean and you like island hop from like Little islands, islands, and find coconuts to drink from. And, Who wants to fantasize that they're the dude from Castaway? Scavenge, scavenge ships and look for like tarps and 
and jerry cans and boat boat parts boat engine parts and I just found all the boat engine parts that I need so I can put an engine on my raft and you build a raft and I've built a base and yeah, it's fun. But but have you made fire? I have made fire. Literally, yes. I have made fire. Stra- Stranded Deep, I, I haven't found it yet, but Stranded Deep actually has a volleyball companion that you can find at some point. I forget what his name is, but... It's a. It's It'd be homage. funny if it was a different brand, like Dunlop. Or something. <laughs> I don't know. It might be. Yeah, Voight! Voight! <laughs> Voight! Yeah, that'd, that'd be great. Um, all right, we'll, we'll catch you next time. Until then, see ya. See ya. See ya. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.